Hello and welcome to Radio Omniglot, a podcast about language and linguistics. My name is Simon Eger and I am the person behind Omniglot.com, the online encyclopedia of writing systems and languages. Incidentally, the tune you heard at the beginning of this episode is one I wrote on the piano called The Hedge Cats, or Cathod Aguirre, and I've decided that I'm going to use that as my theme tune for this podcast. You will hear other tunes that I have written, and other folk tunes that I like, in these podcasts, but I think I'll make that my theme tune. So, what am I talking about in this episode? Well, I'm recording this at the beginning of August 2019, and at the end of July, I was in Ireland taking part in an Irish language and culture summer school. This is something I've been doing regularly since 2005. I don't go to Ireland every year at the same time, although usually I go at the end of July for the summer school, but some years I've been other times. And each time I go, I get to use my Irish and to learn more of the language, learn songs, learn dances and tunes. I get to meet people from all over the world and practice my other languages, which is another benefit. I get. So I got interested in Irish through music many years ago when I started playing the tin whistle and listening to traditional Irish folk music and I just fell in love with the sound of the language and wanted to learn the songs and eventually started to learn to speak it as well. And then I started going to Ireland and have been every summer for a week or two since 2005. And I talked about, about this in more detail in the episode on Irish, so I won't go into details about how I learned it or about the language itself. But I want to talk about some of the benefits I've got from learning Irish and going to Ireland. Now, as I said, I, I got interested in Irish through music. But after I left school, although I continued to play music for a while, I stopped having lessons. I was having lessons on the clarinet and playing in orchestras and bands and such like. But after I left school, I stopped having regular lessons and I stopped practicing so often. And after a few years, I got busy with, with studies and then work and eventually gave up playing any instruments. I carried, carried on listening to music and trying to learn songs, particularly in Irish and also in Scottish Gaelic, which I got interested in the same same way through music. But it wasn't until many years later that I actually started learning to speak Irish and Scottish Gaelic that I got back into the music. I went to Ireland the first time, as I said, in 2005. I was there for two weeks doing Irish language courses in a place called Glencolum Killia. It's in the Donegal in the northwest of Ireland. There's an Irish language and cultural centre there called Eus Gael, which is the place I go to every year. And they do short courses in Irish language, music, dance, and various other things in the summer and at Easter. So, yeah, it's a place I would thoroughly recommend if you have any interest whatsoever in the Irish language or Irish culture or history. They do courses in archaeology as well and um, landscape painting as well as musical courses. I've done one in several courses in harp playing. They do courses in flute and whistle playing as well, in translation and such like. So, yeah, it's a place I would thoroughly recommend. And going there got me back into music. Because although I'd been listening to music while I wasn't playing any instruments, I hadn't been playing anything, any instruments for years. You know, occasionally I'd come across a piano and try and bash out a tune or something, but that was all, really. So when I went to playing Colin Kilia, and every night there was traditional folk music sessions in the pubs, people were singing and dancing, and I thought, oh, I, I really miss doing all these things. I, I wasn't really into dancing before, but I got into Katie dancing through going to Katie's in Glencolm Kilia and other places, and that gave me a whole new interest, something I do regularly now, 
Until recently, there were Kaylees every month in Bangor. Now, in case you're wondering what a Kaylee is, the word Kaylee means a meeting in Scottish Gaelic and Irish, a get-together, a party, literally. So in, in Ireland, a Kaylee is a, like a dance where you, usually in the evening, people get together. You might have someone teaching you how to do the dances. You walk through them before you start dancing. Then the music starts. You may have a band, or in some cases, just recording music. And the caller will guide you through as you dance. You dance in different formations, in squares and circles and lines and so on. And it's a lot of fun, because anybody can try it. You don't need to know anything about dancing to do it. And part of the fun is that people get it wrong and make mistakes and go in the wrong direction, get their left and right mixed up and everything, but... That's all, it's all part of the fun. It's, um, something I really enjoy. It's a great exercise. It's a great way to meet people. Just part of the point of it. And in Scotland, you used an occasion where you get together, maybe in someone's house or their barn or in a field even. And there would be music and dancing and food and drink and socializing and, and general merriment. So that's something I benefited by learning Irish and Scottish Gaelic by getting into dancing. And it's something I just really enjoy. I've met many people. It's helped me keep fit. Also, another thing I got from going to Ireland and I'd also to Scotland to learn Irish and Scottish Gaelic was playing instruments. Now, I, I started off playing the tin whistle when I was in school, as I said, but then I didn't play for many years. I lost my whistles and didn't get around to getting any new ones. But when I went to Ireland, I thought, hmm, maybe I should start playing something again. So I, I got myself a cheap whistle. I already had some books on tunes and songs, so I started playing those and started learning new tunes. And this was when I was living in Brighton in the south of England. And a few of my friends were into this kind of music. And I went along to music sessions with them. A music session, the Irish style music session or a Scottish one or a Welsh one is where you, you gather usually in a pub, a group of musicians and singers and storytellers perhaps, and you play and sing and tell stories. And um, you do this regularly. So in Bangor, where I live now, in Wales, I go to sessions. There's one on Friday nights in one pub where we play mainly Irish tunes, and occasionally Welsh tunes, and people will sing sometimes. And then there's a, a regular one on Monday nights where we play mainly Welsh tunes and sing Welsh songs in a different pub. So this is a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. I've learnt a lot of tunes and songs through doing this and met lots of people. And... Um, as well as playing the, the whistle. You know, after I got my whistle, I started also playing guitar. And I had lessons, um, basic to get me started on the guitar for several years. Now, actually, no, just over a year, actually, while I was living in Brighton. So that got me started. I started playing, um, chords, then tunes, then I started playing classical pieces. And then I started playing other instruments as well. After I moved to Bangor back in 2008, I got myself a mandolin, and that's now the main instrument I play in sessions, and then recorders, because when I wanted to play Welsh tunes, I found they were in keys you couldn't play easily on the whistle, or not the whistles I had anyway. So I got some recorders, and now I play in a recorder group with several friends. And also I started playing the piano again. I played when I was younger, I started playing when I was seven, I had lessons for about five years, and then I gave up on the piano and started playing the clarinet instead. But, you know, over the years since then, I, I would occasionally you know, try and play the piano, especially when I go to my mum's. My mum's quite a good pianist. Now, in the UK, there are um, music um, exams you can take, and they're graded from one to eight, with eight being the highest. And then there are higher uh, qualifications as well. And if you get grade eight, 
you're qualified to do a music degree or to teach just about i think now you probably have to have more qualifications if you want to teach but yeah, grade eight is the highest and i got it to grade six on the the clarinet i only grade one on the piano i tried grade two but failed which is one reason why i gave up and you also get and my mum got up to grade seven on the, the piano so you know since i started playing again i haven't had lessons apart from on the guitar and a few on the harp as well which is another instrument i started playing years ago but i just play for fun and i also got into writing tunes whenever i start playing an instrument you know sit down at the piano pick up one of my other instruments guitar or whatever i'll start off playing tunes i know to warm up and then i might start improvising and if i find um, um a melody line a chord sequence i like i mean i think oh maybe i can incorporate that into a tune or a song that's another thing I got into through music is is writing tunes and songs. Now songs, the songwriting came after I went to a poetry workshop and I was talking to people there who were sharing poems they'd written and they said, well, why don't you try and write something yourself? So I, after I went home, I thought, hmm, why not? I give it a go and I wrote a kind of poem based on the phrase, the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is something you don't mention, something you don't discuss. It's a metaphor, of course. But I thought, what if it was a real elephant? And what, what's the elephant doing in the room? Where did it come from? Where does it go? And so on. And that turned into a song, which goes something like this. There's a matter we must discuss But I don't want to make a fuss an issue we must address But I don't want to cause any stress There's an elephant in the room You've noticed, I assume She's rather large and grey And getting in the way It's so And 
and then I started writing other songs, and I started writing tunes, and um, and now I'm part of a songwriting group. I meet with friends every month, and we share songs we're working on. So at the moment, this year, I'm writing a new song every month, at least. I'm not writing so many tunes this year. The one you heard at the beginning of this episode is the first one I've, first new one I've written this year, I think, or one of the first ones I've written for a while anyway. But I've certainly written many songs. So all these interests and things I, I've given into are thanks to my learning Irish and Scottish Gaelic. I don't know if I'd got into them. I would have got into them if I'd learned other languages. Perhaps, perhaps not. I don't know. I have certainly got interested in other languages through music. I first started learning Spanish because I like to sing Spanish songs and so many Portuguese. But I haven't really learnt many Spanish or Portuguese tunes, actually. I do play a Portuguese instrument, a cavaquinho, which is like a, a baby guitar, the size of a ukulele with steel strings, and um, I have it tuned like a guitar, four strings it has, and I write quite a few tunes on that. And I do play a Spanish guitar and, and play classical pieces written by Spanish composers. So yes, I do play some Spanish and Portuguese music, or instruments. <laughs> I don't actually know any Portuguese tunes, I know a few Galician ones, but um, anyway. So these are all things that kind of flow from my interest in these these languages. And I could say, well, there's no practical reason to learn Irish or Scottish Gaelic. I, I learned them to then to sing songs in them, to understand the songs, and then to have conversations with people about the songs, and then just have to ordinary conversations. And so I to know many people. And when I meet people who speak these languages, whatever they are, Scottish Gaelic, Manx, Irish, Welsh, or whatever, these small minority languages, if I meet someone somewhere outside where they're normally spoken, I, I met an Irish speaker in Cuba, for example, when I was on a holiday there. I was doing a tour, and one of the people in the group was from Ireland, and we got talking, and I discovered she was an Irish speaker, so we started speaking Irish, and she was very happy to find someone to speak Irish to. And similarly, I, I met um, Welsh speakers and Scottish Gaelic speakers and other speakers of other minority languages in other unexpected places. And when you do meet someone like that, it's an instant connection you have with them, a bond. You have shared interest. You may have shared friends as well, especially for smaller languages, very small languages like, like Manx or Cornish, where there's only a few hundred speakers, well, fluent speakers anyway. There's about 3,000 people who have some knowledge of Cornish, but only about six or 700 people who speak it fluently. And Manx is even smaller. There's about 1,800 people who have some knowledge of the language and maybe only about 100 or 200 people who speak it fluently. So in the case of Manx, it's possible actually to know, to get to know all the fluent speakers in theory. So you, you kind of become part of the community. People know you and when you, you get to know some people, they'll say, oh yeah, have you met my friend over there? And you get to, you get to become part of the community, which is a wonderful thing. And if you meet Manx people elsewhere, like last year I went to Cornwall for a inter-Celtic festival called Lewenda Perrin in Newquay, and some of the people were, were Manx people I knew, I knew from the Isle of Man. So through them I got to know other people. So it's, it's making connections, and with a small speech, speech community, it's easier to do. And you'll find if you learn a lesser studied language, for example Danish, I mean, everybody in Denmark, I went there last year, to 2018, everybody I met there could speak English pretty well, some very well. Um, so I didn't actually need to speak any Danish, but I learned Danish anyway because that's what I do. Whenever I go to a new country, I learn the local language, or at least I try to learn at least some of it. And now I know quite a bit more Danish. And at that time, I'd only been learning for a few months, so I didn't know very much. But 
I used what I could, and people were happy to speak to me in Danish. They didn't automatically switch to English all the time. Some people did, but, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they thought it would be easier for me if they spoke in English. They assumed I was an English speaker, they heard my accent or whatever, and thought, oh, he doesn't speak much Danish, so let's make it easy for him and switch to English. But, you know, some people are like that. That's what they do. You can't force everybody to give you free language lessons and practice. So, yeah, learning Danish has been a very interesting journey. I'm still still learning. I still learn every day. I've been learning for over a year now. And I've got to the stage where I can understand quite a bit. When I hear or read Danish, I can get the gist of what's going on. I don't understand every word, but I can get a fairly, a fairly good idea of what, what the text is about or what someone's talking about. And as most people in Denmark speak pretty good English, they don't expect foreigners to learn Danish unless they actually go and live there. And then you can get free Danish lessons from the government. But that's another thing. As a tourist, nobody expects you to, to learn much Danish. So if you do, then people are very happy. They're impressed. Even more so in somewhere like Iceland, where there's only about 300,000 people. And Icelandic is spoken by everybody there. Everybody also learns Danish and English in school. So you can get by with English or Danish. But if you actually learn Icelandic, then people are very happy. And they'll talk talk in Icelandic all day to you if you ask them to. So, yes, that's an, a major benefit of learning a, a small language is what I call the wow factor. Oh, wow, he's made an effort to learn our, our little language that nobody really bothers with. And in some cases, like like Danish, there may be you know, millions of people who speak it, but outside Denmark, very few people do except people in, in the Faroe Islands, which is part of the Kingdom of Denmark, and in Greenland, they speak Danish, or they learn it, at least, and also in Iceland, which used to be part of Denmark. So there's a definitely a wow factor there. And with a very small language like Manx, it's being revived in Cornish. If you learn it to a high degree, you can actually help to revive it, even with Welsh as well. I have friends who have learnt Welsh to a high degree and actually... Uh, employed to promote the use of the language. A number of German friends who either teach Welsh or are promoting the language or involved in helping to to um, keep the language alive. And also, what well, gives you job opportunities? Obviously, if you speak a language well, but not many people speak, then any jobs going that need, require use of that language, you have a, a chance to get. So now you can see there are various benefits from learning small languages, the minority languages, endangered languages, lesser studied languages, because of all these things I mentioned and all the benefits that I've accrued. I mean, everybody's different, so everybody has different interests. You wouldn't necessarily get all these benefits yourself, but there certainly are benefits from learning such languages. And I'm not saying you shouldn't learn big languages as well. It's very useful to know languages, big languages like um, Spanish and French and Arabic and Russian and Chinese and so on. But you don't don't neglect the smaller languages as well. They can have as many, if not more, benefits as learning one of the big languages. And it does depend where you live, where you spend your time, where you go on holiday, where you work, and so on. For example, in Bangor, where I live in North Wales, the main languages spoken are English and Welsh. About half the local population speak Welsh. There's about 20,000 people, I think, who are permanent residents here. And another 10,000 or so students. Now, not all the students speak Welsh. Probably relatively few of them, actually. 
but it is possible at Bangor University to do some courses through the medium of Welsh. So Welsh is a very useful language to speak around here. I mean, you, can, you don't need to. There's rarely um, occasions when you have to speak Welsh. You certainly get by with English, but if you do speak it, you get a whole extra dimension to your life here. You, get to, you become part of the Welsh-speaking community. You get to know all the things that are happening in Welsh. Music and events and literature and television and radio and all such and cultural events. Now, some people would tell you that there's no point in learning a small language like Welsh or Irish because they're only spoken in one particular country or region. And if you want to use them anywhere else, it's hopeless. You can't use Welsh in Paris, for example, or London, or New York. Or can you? Well, actually, according to a survey by the Welsh television channel, S. Pedwarek, or Channel Pedwarek Emily, S4C in English, there are about 50,000 speakers of Welsh in London. And there are certainly Welsh learners in Paris and New York, and Irish learners in New York and Moscow and other places around the world. And um, if you listen to Welsh language radio, Radio Cymru, when they have reports of things happening in different countries, they'll often find a local Welsh speaker to give them the lowdown of what's happening in that particular place. And so they have contacts all around the world, people who are native speakers or have learned Welsh and are willing to speak on the radio. So... Although the numbers of people outside the heartlands of where these languages are spoken may be small, you can certainly find speakers and learners of these languages in many other parts of the world. So now we know some of the benefits of learning smaller languages. And if you have learned any such languages, you're learning them, you speak them as a native language, then why not leave a comment? You can go to omnigot.com slash radio and find notes on this and every other episode of this podcast. You can leave notes and suggestions and comments. You can even make donations if you're feeling very generous to help support this podcast. And you can find this podcast also on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud and other podcast providers. So, you know, if you want to leave a, a like or a review comments on anything please do i hope you found this interesting and informative and that's all i have to say so goodbye for now